Amen. If you would, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We've been reading about Paul's, I would consider this a lot of his testimony, uh, not just how he got saved, but a testimony of his life. And always, you know, and convinced, you know, when I'm talking to a young person who or whoever, when we share our testimony, a lot of times we think, well, I was lost and when I was eight years old, I prayed in vacation Bible school. That is a huge part of our testimony. But to me, our testimony includes who, it, who is Christ to you today? What is he doing in your life? Who is he? What is your heart for the Lord today? Can you testify of the faithfulness of God through your life? So it's not, to me, testimony is not just the day that we got saved. It certainly includes that. And so I believe we're, we're looking at a lot of Paul's heart and his testimony for Christ and who the Lord is to him at this point of his life when he's writing this from a Roman prison, amen, persecuted for righteousness' sake. But let's read verses 13 and 14. We're just taking our time going through here. In verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, almost everything in this chapter so far, and certainly in the last half of this chapter, has been very familiar to us. The scriptures themselves are familiar scriptures, and they ought to be. But Paul says he doesn't count himself to have apprehended. And the, the previous couple of verses, he says, I don't, not that I've already attained. So he says, I haven't already attained to the resurrection. I have not already apprehended everything that Christ has me for me. And that word apprehended means to grasp completely. To grasp completely. And so he's saying, I have not apprehended or grasped completely or attained unto everything, the fullness of all that Christ has for me. And he says, neither, in the, in the previous verses, which we looked at a few weeks ago, he says, neither am I already perfect. And that simply means complete. He was who he was in Jesus. He was saved as he'd ever be at that moment when he was writing this. But he knew that there was more. So he was securely in Christ. Don't be, don't be confused at all and think that Paul is saying, I've got to learn how to work my way to heaven or get, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I was talking to the boys at Parkview today uh, just about how can you know if you're really a Christian and so forth? And I said, so many religions, and, it, and it's not the point of bad-mouthing another religion. It's just a fact. In their religion or their religious system, you're not sure of your salvation. Even when you're breathing your last few breaths on this earth, there's not an absolute knowing and a confidence that you belong to Christ, that you're going to be accepted of him, that you're going to be entered and ushered into heaven so much is based upon, uh, upon performance, the performance of the person. And we are to perform, but we perform as believers, I guess you would say. It, we, we serve God because we are saved. And Paul realizes this. So don't be confused and think, think, think that he thinks he wasn't sure about his salvation. That's not at all the thought here. He, he was securely in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, he says, and for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He had already said that in this, in this epistle. But he was saying he, he had a holy hunger. And I, I say it all the time, that this is why we are continue to meet. This is why we come 
tonight and we come back and we'll be at prayer meetings and so forth. And we open up our Bible in the mornings and seek his face. And we get on our knees at these altars or in our home, in our bedroom or living room. Because we have, God has stirred within us a holy hunger. There's a holy hunger for more of Christ. Not in order to be saved. He saved us freely by his grace. He justified us freely by his grace when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying, I have a holy hunger for more of the Lord. I have a holy hunger for all that he has for me. For Christ and for all that he has for me. There is always more in the Lord. I think even through eternity, when, we, when we're with the Lord around his throne and freed up from temptations and everything that, that, that's in this life that wrestles and wars against our souls, when we're freed up from that totally, when we see him, we'll be like him. But still, I think we'll be ever, I don't know this from some particular scripture, I think we'll ever be learning the Lord and growing in the Lord and uh, in other words, a deeper revelation of the Lord throughout eternity. And I think it's going to be a, a wonderful thing. But what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. He hadn't already attained to the resurrection. We looked at that a few weeks ago. What's going to be part of the resurrection for the just? There's going to be a glorified body. There's going to be a completion in our Christ likeness. When we see him, we'll be like him. There's going to be, going to be a rest. There's a rest that we have in Jesus now. And then in Hebrews it says there's a rest that remains for the people of God. There's a future rest. That's Sabbath rest, right? That we're going to have in heaven. Uh, there is the, the moment, we could add to this list, but there's the moment when Paul looked forward to and we look forward to when we're actually going to see the Lord face to face. That remains for us. We might have had visions of the Lord uh, we might have heard his voice, and certainly we've heard his voice speaking to our hearts and so forth, but there is an unveiled, seeing him with unveiled face is going, that's all part of what's still out there, okay? That's still ahead of us. And I read a quote from one that said, satisfaction is the grave of progress. Now, I don't know if they're just talking about in Christianity or in life in general, but satisfaction is the grave of prog progress. And I think if we're just satisfied with where we are and have no desire for more, then we're not going to progress in the Lord like he would have us to. David says, I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, right? As the heart pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. And there was always this expectation. When shall I come and appear before the Lord? When are you going to come, Lord? How long am I going to wait before you deliver me? How long before I see you? How long before you speak to me? Oh, I'm longing for you as in a dry and weary land where no water is. I think that's the thought here with he's saying I'm pressing towards the mark and all. It's not that he doubted his salvation. It's that he was so excited about the Lord that he wanted to be with the Lord and he wanted more. If there's more, I want it. Right? If there's more, I want it. That's how I feel about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even people that don't fully understand it, the, a, a proper thought would be, if it's of God, I want it. I remember Clendenin, uh, when he you know, used to share his testimony, and after he was saved and not, not baptized in the Holy Spirit, the preacher said, boy, you know, the next thing you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and the preachers in Clendenin said, well, is that better than what I have now? And the old preacher said to Clendenin, it's not better than what you have now, but it'll make what you have better. And I thought that's, that's a good way of putting it. It's just a more of a fullness of Christ. It's not something different. It's not something you and, new and unique that would be separate from the Lord. It would be a fullness. And it's a fullness of his spirit, a fullness of that baptism. And so uh, let's look at this for just a moment. In verse 13, where he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Okay, but he talks about one thing that he does. This one thing that I do, I forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Let's talk about that for a moment. The, I think it's the blessedness of being single-minded. That is a Christian trait, to be single-minded. To be of a pure heart means to be undivided and to be single-minded in the sense that I've made up my mind, I'm going with Jesus. Uh, and, and here we see Paul saying this one thing I do. There's a singleness of purpose, a singleness of heart, and he's going on with the Lord. And that is a blessing. That is a blessing because it, it relieves us, kind of like we were talking about Sunday. It relieves me this past Sunday. We're, God relieves us of fighting and striving to hang on to everything. He also relieves us when we're single-minded and of a pure, undivided heart of of wrestling with what's my purpose in life. And, and I'll get up and i got a 24-hour day, and what do I do with my day? I've got fires to put out over here and fires to put out over here, and we're scattered. We're scattered. Now, life may be crazy and busy like that. I'm not saying it's not. But in it all, we can be of one heart and one mind. Paul said this one thing I do. So if I looked at Paul's life, I know I've said this before, if, I, if you were I were to... Look at Paul's life just from the scriptures, what we know. So much of the New Testament involves the Apostle Paul. So much of the book of Acts, which is a historical account, and the growth and the birth of the church involves the Apostle Paul. And we say, well, he did this, and he had, did, he had three big missionary journeys, and we have it mapped out where he went. And he'd visit this church again, and he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, and he raised Eutychus from the dead. And he was in prison, and he preached to the Philippian jailer. And we would go on and on all the things that he did. And yet he says, no, I'm really just doing one thing. All the other stuff just falls with under that heading. I'm pressing towards the goal. I'm ser see, serving God. You see what I mean just about a simplicity about it? I like things simple. Personally, I do. I don't like too many choices about things. And so th this is just, he says, there's only one thing I'm doing. I'm after Jesus. My heart's after Jesus. I'm pursuing after Jesus. I'm putting everything else behind me, and I'm pressing on towards Jesus. Not to be saved, but because I am saved. I found him, and I'm living for God. And I want all that he has for me. Amen. Christ is all and in all, and he alone was the love of Paul's life. He was his pursuit. He was his purpose in living. He was his joy. He was his fulfillment. He was his life. To me to, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He alone is worthy of such devotion. Not just from the Apostle Paul, but from you and me. Amen? He, is, he alone is worthy of that. And again, it, it frees you up, not from busy, the busyness of life. It frees you up from an undivided heart and mind. Being scattered in my thoughts. Being scattered in... And where does my devotion lie? Does it more, lie more here or there? It lies with Christ. He'll make you 
devoted to your family and devoted a great employee and so forth. But pursue Christ first and foremost. He'll take care of all the details. He absolutely will. And so we have people, could be the devil, could be the devil in people. It could just be the world and people in the world saying, you know, you're, you're, you Christians, you, you don't even try this. You're so narrow-minded. You're not open to this over here. What about this? What about that religion or this spirituality or this, uh, you know, you're so closed off and you're missing out on all that. You haven't even tried this over there. And we can just say, no, thanks. No, thank you. You know, I found the Lord. Uh, I, I have Christ and I am pursuing him and him only. I'm pursuing the Lord in him only. And I want what he has for me. I don't need to experience that over there. The Bible tells me all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it's all going to pass away. Okay, and, and any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm not being disrespectful, but I'm not after that. I'm not pursuing after that. I found the one, and Paul found the one in, in whom he was fully occupied and, and loved. Amen. So he said, this one thing I do. And then he says, forgetting those things which are behind. That is a wonderful trait. It is necessary. Okay. You might have done it. I certainly know people that dwell on the past. They live in the past. They're believers. They've given their life to Christ. But they cannot get over their past. That is a grave that God doesn't want us to live in. Not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that's something he wants us to move out of. And by his grace and his mercy, he can move us out of it. We all have things, whether it's sorrows or successes in our past. And God says, leave it behind. If that's part of your B.C. before Christ's days, not that we forget it. Like it's, we can't recall it to memory. Uh, it's that we don't long for it. We're not attached to it. I've been severed from that. I've been freed from that. And we have to forget those things that are behind us. Everything in that former life and all that it entails. I just want to read this. You don't have to turn there, but I'm reading from Numbers 11.5. Now, this is when Israel was, uh, had come out of Egypt by the high hand of God. They were in the wilderness. They were in that 40-year period of journeying. And this was not too long after they had come out. And they were wanting food. And they were sick and tired of the manna that God gave them every day that they didn't even have to work for. It was just there. And anyway, they said, we remember. Now, see, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. They're thinking back to Egypt. And they say, we remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. We remember it. It's not just that he remembered. I'm sure Moses remembered it too. It was the fact that they remembered it with a longing. They remember it, it as though they wished they were back there. We wish we had that again. They even said we loathe. That's the word they use. We loathe this manna that God gives us every day. But I don't see Moses of that same mindset or Joshua or Caleb. You understand what I'm saying? They're fully satisfied with the Lord and and they wanted to go, no, we're, we're going forward. God has a promised land for us. We're going with God. And they had forgotten those things as far as with a longing 
they forgot those things. Joshua and Caleb and so forth. It uh, says of those in Hebrews eleven fifteen. you know, this great chapter of these men and women of faith. And some are nameless, as I say, we don't know their names. They're just those who, of whom the world was not worthy, the Bible says. They were men and women of faith. Truly, if they had been mindful, that's the memory part. If they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had, have, have had opportunity to have returned. If they just sat around and thought about what they came out of, they might want to go back. But these that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 are not those that are mentioned in Numbers 11. They complained and grumbled and really wanted to go back and have that food. These in Hebrews 11 declare plainly that they're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And they're looking for a country and a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. And they're fully persuaded by faith of those promises of God that are to come and they're to come for them. So they're not looking back. That's what Paul's talking about, forgetting those things which are behind. And it's interesting to me when I think about the, the Hebrews, uh, those that died in unbelief, for example, they forget. When they, when they were longing to go back to Egypt, did they forget that they were slaves? Did they forget that? Did they forget that they were, used to be beat and, and didn't have any freedom and were told what to do every moment of their lives in a day and had no freedom for them and their families? It's, it's amazing how quickly we can forget. And even as Christians, sometimes if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we forget we were slaves to sin. I don't need to look back to any, with any longing to my before Christ days. I had a wonderful childhood growing up. I have fond memories. You understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about the world, going back to the world before my eyes were opened, before I was born again, before uh, the Spirit of the Lord came and lived in my heart and your heart and life, and we were lost and in our sins and trespasses. We're not to look for any longing for that at all. We were slaves to sin. We could not free ourselves. There's nothing back there for me. Okay, and young people, I'll say it for the thousandth time. This world has nothing for you. If you haven't been off in the world, don't go there. If you have been and Christ has brought you out, there's nothing back there behind you for you. There's everything in front of you, and Jesus has it for you. Oliver B. Green said, Paul didn't waste his time remembering what he had lost when he gained Christ. He didn't waste his time Remembering what he lost when he gained Christ. No time to look back. So what's a per, one of the famous people in the Bible that I think that looked back? I think a Lot's wife, right? That was nothing. The, the city was so vile and filled with the sin and, and perversions that God destroyed it. He said, I came down to see, told Abraham, if it's all, it says their sin and this basically like the smell of their sin has risen up to heaven. And he came down to see, and he came down to bring judgment. And Lot's wife was long looking back with fondness towards that. Now, it does not mean she committed those sins. We, never, we certainly don't read that she did, but there was something that she longed for in that environment and in that culture and in that place. And she was told not to look back. And she did look back. 
it's just important. I, I know that I'm, I'm being redundant, but it's important to forget those things that are behind. Amen. And a man that's running a race, and Paul considered himself to, run, to be running a race. That analogy is used several times by him. A man that's running a race looks forward. He looks forward. He looks towards the finish line, not back. I don't have the illustration in front of me before. It's a true illustration. Uh, I hadn't planned on saying it, but there was some Olympic runner by name. It's, it's a specific Olympics that he was in, a, a long-distance run. And it, and it said of him he was clearly out in front. And at the last moment, he looked back to see how far ahead he was. And the guy passed him, and he lost it. He lost, ended up losing the race that he had trained for. I wish I had more details. Uh, I've forgotten it. But a man that's running a race looks towards the finish line, not back. We don't look back. Not once do you hear Paul complain about what he had to, quote, give up in order to, to follow Jesus. And I think a lot of times today, I know that I've, I've heard testimonies. I sure don't want to be that person that goes around saying, boy, before I came to Christ, I had this much money and I had this and that and all, everything going my way and everything was perfect. And I gave all that up to serve Jesus. Like, wow, you're really special. And the focus is on you and what you gave up to follow Jesus. We're blessed to follow Jesus. We were sinners and by children, nature of wrath. And whatever is behind us is behind us. We didn't give up anything to follow Jesus. We get to follow Jesus. Amen? Those things are behind us now. And if he wants us to bring some of that, you know, that he sanctified and bring it into this new life in Christ, and he sees fit to do that, he will do that. But we never hear Paul once complaining about what he had to give up in order to follow Christ. He talks about it, and he says, I counted as lost. I counted as dumb, right? I counted as nothing in, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. And so uh, Paul desired to, to press forward. He wanted the full reward. He wanted everything that the Lord has in, for him. And, and y'all, this, uh, this, this is to be for us. This is to stir us up in the sense that we don't want to just make it to heaven it's not enough that you prayed the sinner's prayer and meant it. You have to do that. Absolutely, we have to do that. But God is saying he's got a lot for us, and a lot of that is up to us if we will pursue after the Lord. Will you pursue after the Lord? When, when I look at the lives of people that I admire and respect, you know, and George Mueller and, and different people like that, and I, even the Apostle Paul, and I think they're so beyond where my Christianity is. But it, they were nothing in themselves special, and they would be the first ones to tell you. They weren't created in a special uh, breed of people, and they weren't born again in some special way that you and I aren't born again. They, were, they simply availed themselves and took advantage of what was freely offered them in Christ, and they set their hearts and minds to pursue after the Lord, and they did it. And they did it. And God was a faithful rewarder as they did that. Amen. Don't dwell on the past. Sins or successes, we need to move on. And he says, reaching forth, 
for what is before. I reach forth in verse, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Again, it's the example or the picture of a runner stretching with all of his might towards the finish line. I heard one say that uh, this quote is good to forget all that hinders and remember all that helps. Forget all that hinders and remember all that helps. We're not to dwell on the past. We're to keep moving on in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so the mark. Let's talk about the mark in verse 14. I press towards the mark. The mark literally means the goal. He's pressing towards the goal. This would be the finish line. I'm pressing towards the finish line. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize. The prize is actually not the mark. The mark is the finish line. The prize is what he receives when he finishes. So, so the, the mark is the goal. The goal line, the finish line. I'm pressing towards that because I know when I get to that, there's going to be a prize. There's going to be a reward, a rewards for me. And y'all, he, it's not just for Paul. It's not just for Paul. It's for all of us. And, and to him, the mark was clear. In other words, it wasn't some vague thing in the distance that he couldn't put his finger on. He knew what he was pressing towards. He's pressing towards Christ. He's pressing towards, remember, not just Christ, but to finish strong in Christ. To receive all the fullness that God has for him in Christ. He has a new life now, and he's pursuing after everything in that new life. Paul found one worth living for. Have you? I know many of you have. Have you found one who's worth living for? And everything else in Paul's estimation was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. It would have been it would have been a waste. It would have been secondary. It would have not have been serving his highest purpose. You, you, you know, you're getting caught up in this uh, startary issue over here, and he knew it. If I get over there and start doing that, it's going to get me off track. It's going to get me distracted. It might be a good thing, but is it the best thing? We need to be pursuing after the best with every second of our lives. I don't always do it, but I need to be. I need to be steering myself back, you know, those like the bowling, uh, the bowling lanes where they put the bumpers up to help, help, help people that can't bowl very well. They put the bumpers up so you can't throw a gutter ball. It's impossible. You know, we start getting off track. I, I need to hit those rails and say, this is a good thing, but I'm getting caught up in something that's good, but it's not the best. I need to be back over here. And there's, there's, sometimes, in, in, there's sometimes in the Lord and in the church and even just going through life where somebody says, well, you're a Christian. Would you come help me with this over here? Like a, maybe a regular ministry or something like that. And it's not what God's called you to. And if it's not what God's called you to, then it's going to take you away from what he has for you. Or maybe there's just some pursuit in life that's just innocent. It's kind of neutral. It's kind of benign. And we start investing a whole lot of time in that, more and more time in that. And it, it can get us, even though it, in and of itself it's not sinful, it can get us off track. And Paul says, no, I'm doing one thing. Paul, you're going overboard. You're taking this thing too far, but it's not. It's just Christianity. It's not special Christianity. It's Christianity. 
It's those that have found Christ, and he's worth it. And I want to pursue after the Lord like that. God gives us this word for us. It's not just Paul's heart and testimony. He's saying, basically, this is to be yours. This is to be your heart and your testimony. Everything else would have been a distraction to Paul. It would have been a waste of his time, a waste of his energy. And I love the way the Bible calls it the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. High calling here means an upward calling. It has more to do with a direction. Not just that this is a little higher than that. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It is an upward call. It is a call from heaven to heaven. From heaven to heaven. God calls us and he's bringing us there. And everything else is secondary and falls by the wayside. But it's an upward calling. It's higher. It's upward in the sense it's, it's morally it's higher and better. Everything about the call of God upon your life is better than the call of the world or the call of your flesh or the call of friends or the call of success or any other thing, even if it's noble, call of country and serving country. And I'm not opposed to these things. But the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is superabounds and surpasses that. And that's what we need to occupy ourselves with. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's an upward calling. It includes heaven, but includes everything that is in Christ that he has for your life. And why would we want to miss that? Amen? I certainly don't want to. It's a call from heaven to heaven. It's a call to be like Christ. It's a call to be with Christ. And this goal consumed or this mark consumed all of Paul's energy. Amen. And so I want to, I want to just read this, a couple of verses, and we're going to be bringing this to a close. But in 2 Timothy, I know that you know the scripture, and we quote it a lot. We have in this study in Philippians. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And I believe he had some type of knowing. I don't know, that not that he saw the rewards or the crowns or the prizes, but he knew the faithfulness of God, that he is and that he's a rewarder, rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. It's going to be the day when, I would think the judgment seat of Christ or the day that he sees the Lord or at his appearing. He says, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We are to love his appearing, not just believe in his appearing, that I believe in the rapture. I believe God's going to rapture the church. But Paul longed for it. He longed for it. That's why he can say from to depart and be with Christ is far better. He understood it. It was in his heart, and he believed that. And so he knew there was a reward coming. The, this is Revelation 4.10. This is a, a picture in heaven that John was allowed to see. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. The four and twenty elders, it's believed that that represents the Old Testament saints and the New Testament church. It would be the whole body of believers, the righteous, redeemed Throughout all ages, okay? The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him 
that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And so what, what are these crowns that they're casting? I, I believe that they're real crowns uh, of some kind, there's some type of symbol, something that's valuable, something that the righteous through the ages, there's a martyr's crown, there's a soul winner's crown. There are different crowns. Paul talks about the crown of righteousness, and there are going to be some type of crowns that believers have. Where do we get them? We got them from the Lord. We got them from God for serving God faithfully in this life. It's not heaven. People without any crowns are still going to go to heaven if they're born again. But there are going to be crowns that we got, we received from the Lord one day for how we served God faithfully in this life as a saved person. Those crowns are pictured as being, and maybe this is a repetitive thing. Maybe it happens over and over and again. I don't know. But these four and 20 elders, they, they fall down before him that sits on the throne. That's, that's the Lord. The one that's worthy to open the book, that's Christ on the throne. And him that lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns, they're theirs. God gave them to them. And they cast them back to the Lord. And they say, you're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You gave me this, but I'm, I'm only what you made me. I only did what you were, did through me. I only served you faithfully because you helped me to by your spirit and by your grace. And so Paul's got some type of picture of this where I don't know that he saw the, the you know, th this taking place like we read in Revelation 4.10, but he didn't want to enter into heaven and appear before his Savior empty-handed. Does that make sense? He didn't want to in, in, appear before the Lord, just empty his pockets and there's nothing in there. And I'm just empty. I'm saved by the skin of my teeth. Thank you, God, for saving me. Well, where, where's, and the Lord's going to know this answer, but where, where's those that you brought with you? Did you bring some with you? He'll know the answer to that. But you understand my point. It's like, oh, what, what do you have? Are you basically in, entered in empty-handed? Now, he's going to wipe the tears away at the end of the millennium. He's going to welcome us in. By the blood of Jesus, that's the only thing that fits us for heaven. But for the rewards that come, it has been toward with me personally and you personally. Paul knew this, and he was pressing towards. He didn't want to enter that scene, if you want to call it that, the Lord's throne empty-handed. And so I just want to close with this thought. Those that are sports fans know, you know, Paul uses a lot of, athletic uh, analogies. I fought the good fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Every one of them is a specific thing, a real, when you look up the word in the Greek, he's talking about like an Olympic wrestler and ha or, or someone that prepares or trains for a race, uh, that kind of thing. Or, or I don't fight as one that beats the air. Everything was, was uh, because people related to that. They knew what he was talking about. And sports fans in our day, that we all have seen probably on TV or heard about or maybe you know someone personally that was an amateur athlete and they were waiting for that call to be drafted, okay? 
they put a lot of the drafts on, on TV now, and they show, you know, some some college football player, and they got he's got all his family around him in the house, and on draft day they they have a camera there, and we get to see him and his family uh, waiting for that phone to ring, and said, "This is the New York Giants, you know, we're taking you as the first pick of the draft, or the." hundredth pick of the draft or whatever and there's all this excitement about it and they're anxiously awaiting that call to come for the draft because it's the culmination of what they've worked for it's where they put their priorities they worked for it and they sacrificed for it and everybody's hoping and expecting and and they're waiting for that call to come and i thought you know we have a call of god upon our lives. We've been called by the Lord. We're going to hear a trumpet sound. We're going to hear the Lord call us home to be with him. And all this other stuff is going to be burnt up. All this other stuff is temporary. All this other stuff is fleeting and vanity. And people work so hard for it. And they're just on the edge of their seats waiting for that call. Well, the Lord's called all of us. He's calling lost people to come to him. Are they going to come or not? What he has to offer is so much better than, than anything this world has to offer. There's an upward calling of God upon our life, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I just wonder, are we as excited about it as, or am I? And I know it's different. You can't compare the two. But the excitement that people show waiting for that phone to ring and say, you've been drafted. You've been drafted in the first round or whatever. And, and the people go bonkers, and they go nuts, and they're bouncing off the walls and jumping up and down and shouting. And we have this call of God upon our lives to pursue after him, and we might put him on the back burner because we're kind of busy today. And yet he's calling us to walk with him. We have the privilege to walk with him in all that he has for us. I'll close with this. If you have your Bibles, turn. And Chris, if you don't mind coming on up, Chris is going to lead us in our altar music tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And every man that striveth, here's another one of his athletic analogies. Every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we and incorruptible. Paul understood this. He saw it. You have to say by faith we see these things. And I'm praying that for myself and for, for you. That as we hear the word preached. And we're talking about things like that. That our faith will lay hold upon it. I know that you're saved. Okay. But our faith will lay hold on it. And it would be as dear to us. And real to us. And near to us as it was to Paul. To where he says I'm forgetting everything else. And I'm doing one thing. These athletes train and bust their rear ends and sacrifice a lot of other things and a lot of Big Macs and French fries they don't eat to be successful in their sport. They do it to receive a corruptible crown, one that will perish, one that is short-lived. Specifically, the one they're talking about that Paul's talking about would have been this wreath made of leaves that they would put around and crown on the podium, this is the winner of this marathon or this sprint or this rest, and they would put that wreath. How long is that going to last? Not very long. 
they did all that they did for that. I'm not knocking them and I'm not mocking that. I'm simply saying they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, we an incorruptible. And so he goes on to say, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He's not unsure. He knew the prize. He knew the goal. He knew the finish line. He knew Christ. He wanted to be plugged into that and that only. And it was pursuing after that with all of his heart and life. That is Paul's testimony. Forgetting that behind me and I'm pressing on and that's all I'm doing. Period. And he did it. He did it all the way till he was beheaded in Rome. Amen. And, and we read in 2 Timothy where he's about to be offered up. Father, we thank you tonight, God. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus. This is not just, we read these scriptures, God. It's not just about some impressive, exemplary Christians. It's more than that, Lord. It's for us. You said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable that the man of God may be perfect and, and so forth and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's given for us. And God, I pray you would forgive me for my spiritual laxity and laziness and indifference at times. God, help us as a people to do one thing and to do that one thing well. To forget those things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. Help us to press towards the, the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, make that real to us. Make Jesus more real to us, God, in that finish line. Lord, we're closer to that finish line today than we were yesterday when we woke up, Lord. God, we pray that when you come, you will find us pressing in and pressing on and listening for your voice, God, and seeking after you and loving you and serving you, God, and being excited about Jesus and the things you have for us, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.